Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is not a stranger to many, most dare I say, all of you that have been on this podcasting journey with me. It's Bill Bohr. Bill is a pastor, a church leadership consultant. He does lots of interfaith work. He's the co-host of New Persuasive Words, and most importantly, a near and dear friend. Bill, welcome back to the Snacks podcast. Thank you. Happy to be back. It's so funny to say that. Like, welcome to the kid. We could do this all the time together. Yeah, but, I, uh, yeah I flew in from... Uh... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we've got several texts mm-hmm. at, every week. There's at least three. I, right. wish I don't talk about the psalm usually just for brevity's sake. It is. It's a, and it's a Zion psalm this week. It's Zion. An, an enthronement psalm. Yeah. I like Which it. might be interesting to, to do the enthronement psalm over against um, the gospel. Yeah. The gospel. That could be an interesting contrast for those of you who like to do Because I know you like to do the contrast. You like to talk about all the text. I do. And I did. I, I try to do that um, to have them inform each other as well. Yeah. So let's look at Exodus 33. So our first text is Exodus 33, verses 12 through 23. That's in the Older Testament, right? It's in the Older Testament. It's one of my favorite two Testaments, <laughs> hands down. So here we've got Moses is actually asking to see God's, he wants to see God's face. He yeah. wants to see, show me your glory. This is, uh, it's, it's almost like um, uh, in Field of Dreams. Ray wants to see it. <laughs> Ray wants to go. I've done all this. I want to go. I want to go into cornfield. What's the cornfield? You're in my cornfield. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I've, you know. I think I love that movie. By the I way. do too. It's kind of a Moses story. It's kind of a you know. Ray has chosen to go uh, save people. It turns out that he's the one. He's to save himself. But uh, a nice little new age twist there at the end. But it's, it's a great movie. Yeah. So the Exodus. T- this is a powerful passage, and I mean, this is one. My heavens. The rabbis and Christian theologians, uh, Gregory and Nyssa, this is a center part of his book, The Life of Moses. The idea of, can you see God and live? Yeah. And the answer usually is no, but I think Moses, if you would, it earns the, <laughs> earns the closest spot. And so, and I also, it, it's funny, what do you, when you read this behind, what do you think is behind Moses' desire to to see, see, show me your glory. Is it, what is it? Is it frustration? Is it curiosity? Is it, I've earned this? Come on, I've earned this. Haven't I done enough for you? Can't I see your glory? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, is, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, you, I mean, things, it's been a long, it's a long and winding road. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I mean, it's a long and winding road for him. And also, you know, last week's text um, in Exodus was the, Golden calf, which right. is my f- my favorite story in Exodus, maybe the whole Old Testament. It's like when Moses comes down, and says, Aaron, what's going on? He's like, I, I'm about to ask the same damnest thing. These people give me the gold, <laughs> I throw in the fire. I'm as shocked as you are, Moses. 
<laughs> like, like Aaron's so like um, he's so great with that. With that. Um. By the way, there's a book read by a Jewish uh, author who's also a scholar. I just lost the name. It's called the Lost Book of Kings. It's a novel, but it's like the story told by the minority, the minority report, the House of Saul, as opposed to House of David. And it's re, re, it really tells that so story. So, like today, this would be like MSNBC, yeah. the Minority Report. <laughs> but it also it it, told, it it kind of picks up on that that Aaron was misjudged in that that story because it's an interesting. I guy. mean, it's the damnedest thing. I mean, and now comes this cat. <laughs> I was I was just I was just here. I don't know how it got here. It's like it's like your teenage son. I don't know how that got there, Dad. I don't know how how those beer cans were in the garbage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is this sense. I mean, Moses has been in it with um, with God, you know, for a while, and it, you know, I don't know. Is this a, a cry for intimacy or well, yeah, connection or, or just what's this whole journey been about? I mean, you know, in terms of Moses has been taking people on on their journey, but Moses has been on his own spiritual journey as well. And uh, maybe it's point like, what is this all about? I think uh, it's sometimes it's what, you know, uh, when, when we, even those of us who have trouble believing in signs, I think we're all driven <laughs> to sometime, give me a sign, give me something concrete. And I think it's a powerful passage. And the interesting thing is, I think this text uh, again, the rabbis and have its its uh, volumes on this, but it does have a kind of a it's it bridges two different worldviews of God in some levels. You still have kind of the anthropomorphic God's talking to Moses and His presence on the mountain, but the idea that the Shekinah or what doesn't use the word Shekinah. I don't know if it uses the word. In he, I don't have my Hebrew text here, but this idea that there's still something amazing. You, you know, you're not quite to Isaiah six yet. But there's something that you can't really see me. You have to be hidden in the cliff of the rock, and that he only gets to see his the rear end of God, which Gregory Nyssa said, which means you can only see God if you follow God. That's a great sermonic point. And if you use it, give credit to Gregory of Nyssa. <laughs> or else he'll be. Well, I know he's too, he's, he's too sanctified to be too upset about it. But <laughs> it's interesting too. In the earlier part of this chapter, it's not in the reading. God says, "Like, all right, look, I'll give you, I'll give you people the land. I'll give you the blood. I'll give you the thing. I'm, but I'm not going with you." <laughs> and which is like, this is American dream prosperity religion, right? I'll give you uh, uh, here. Here's the uh, the gifts. Hold the of the gifts. Hold the giver, please. <laughs> yeah, which I think is so much American spiritualized. Yes, that that sounds like a wonderful arrangement. But here, you know, it, it's. It's interesting in light of that, like with Moses, something about his presence is yeah. is is really significant here. Yeah, and and um, again, if the psalm, where is the presence of God? Uh, because the psalm that we're not talking about actually sees, you know, the presence of God enthroned in the temple. Uh, but what happens if you don't see it, or you lose the temple? So interesting questions: where the presence of God is? Yeah, I also wonder. You know, Hegel wrote that the owl of Minerva spreads its wings only with the falling of the dusk. And I, I wonder if there's something about that, too, like that oftentimes we don't see God coming and we don't see where God's active in our lives sometimes or we get it wrong. But like generally we have oftentimes the most perspective in hindsight. I mean, it's yeah. why it's why, what you know, Chesterton said that traditionalism is the living faith of the dead. Yeah, are, the, are the dead faith of the living? And tradition uh, is tradition living. is the living faith, faith of the, of the dead, dead, and some, yeah. sometimes maybe that's um, part of the way we see and discern the presence of and, God. And of course, this passage almost is bookended when Elijah comes back to this place, to the place, 
to the, come back to the home office to see. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes you wonder <laughs> to the home office. to the home office to see is is Elijah's frustration similar to Moses. I mean, I do think the power one of the power one of the gifts of the Hebrew spirit or Hebrew scriptures is we get to see the people of God extremely frustrated with God. Some of the greatest leaders and greatest servants of God, um, you know, come to their wits and their faith's end dealing with God and God's people. I also wonder, like in C.S. Lewis's uh, address, C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory, that famous sermon mm. address, he talks about how, and whether it's like the rustling of the leaves, like in nature, beauty, there's something about we want to get in, like right. like all the good things in this life, the true, the good, and the beautiful have this sense of pointing beyond themselves. And so, I mean, it's interesting because... And those of us, and, and what maybe the greatest sin is to try to hoard them or keep them. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. He also writes in his Reflections on the Psalms, so, you know, for years I said, God's glory, you know, uh, why would God need glory? And he thought it was so immature and weird. And then being a Christian reflecting, he thought, no, I mean, first off, it's, not, it's a reality that's shared. And also the nature of anything that we enjoy whether it's a, a relationship, a movie, a book, a, you know, a, a bottle of wine, a, a, a f, you know, food, we want to talk about. It. We want to share that right. goodness. And so, on some level, like the glorification of God, it seems it's not for divine ego. It's just the, I guess, indication of an experience of what we're our tell us. Like yeah, to enter, yeah, and enter into the fullness of the deal. All right, well, let's go on to Thessalonians. All right. First Thessalonians, Bill, your opinion, fact, fiction, first letter Paul wrote, maybe earliest book in the New Testament, yes or no? Uh, it's hard to tell. Hard to tell. I mean, because I always... Hard to say. We're a Caddyshack, too. We're yeah. Really great. Well, hard to say. Hard to say. Oh, it's just hard to say. Oh, my God, there's a crazy man in my office with a flamethrower. <laughs> Well, I, you know what I I think often anytime trying to first of all, where if you're if you're talking about the authentic letters of Paul, which everyone agrees upon, upon you're trying to figure out uh, nuances of grammar and language within a period of maybe everything gets written maybe in a period of six years. So and for inauthentic, we we mean letters written pseudonymously. We don't mean like Paul's just being inauthentic. <laughs> yeah, he's like he's he wasn't he was <laughs> sucking he, up. It, was, it was it was pre it was pre therapy. It was exactly. pre before he went through the union journey. No, I think it very it's an early it could very well be an early one. Um but again, Paul's on Paul's probably only writing during a short period of time. I think probably a decade at most and that's probably So if this is an early if this is let's say the earliest, let's for argument's sake all right, so he wrote this in January instead of February. Right, right. Well, this is this would be like in the fifties, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I think everything's written in the fifties. Yeah. So now it's pretty common parlance today. Like, it's if you look at the critical world of New Testament scholarship, at least at least the kind of popular uh, Da Vinci Code, Bart Ehrman sort of thing. That that most of what. <laughs> okay. All right. You should go. The Da Vinci Code, semicolon, uh, semicolon. <laughs> Bart Ehrman. I mean, I have I have trouble with Bart Ehrman's conclusions, but there is a little difference there. He's actually a scholar, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm sorry, but uh, yeah, 
So, <laughs> so it, it, this notion that you can find all over, you know, pop scholarship that basically, you know, there's a real difference between the Jesus of history and the Christ of faith, and that most of the things the church cherishes uh, theologically, it, it, its doctrines, its its dogmas, its symbols, its hopes are really disconnected from the earliest Jesus tradition. But in these first few verses of of First Thessalonians chapter one, we have all right references to. The members of the Trinity, mm-hmm. Father, Son, yep. and Spirit. We have this idea that God is gathering people um, to form the church and that this mm-hmm. community is founded upon the good news, the proclamation of what God has done in Jesus. We've got actually, I mean, I think you could say we have a theology of the Holy Spirit who's oh, no, you do. active Absolutely. in the, is an agent in the era, of this, you know, this era where the church is being born. The Spirit's the one who inspires faith through mm-hmm. proclamation and then also promotes joy. In the hearts of those who receive the proclamation, there's also a discussion of election, of mm-hmm. God's choosing a people, uh, and that having something to do with their own receptivity to the proclamation. There's also a doctrine of the resurrection and how it's the power of God, of that it, how it's the power of God the Father that actually raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and there is material on the parousia, the second coming, yeah, yeah, and the fact that Jesus is coming again and that that should sustain their hope. That seems to me, that's a lot of theological <laughs> stuff that's no. like two decades out yeah, from no, the death I, no, I, of Jesus. Absolutely. I think that's a great insight. And I think that, again, it's an... It's an so it's preachers, if you really want to be creative, you could read that out and say, suck it to Dan Brown. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be worth mentioning his name. But I do think, uh, again, um, I was about, I mean, the, the, the search for the historical Jesus, one of my friends once said, who, who was at a couple of those sessions, it was, he thought it was really the, the search for the Napa Valley Jesus, because they just got there and drank and our prayers with the people in wine country right now, a lot of suffering and destruction there and death. So um, God be with you as you live out there. But yeah, I think... The issue is is really from a historical perspective. Someone the other day got into an argument with me, trying to say, "Well, you know, it's all of its, you know, all of it's invented." Well, I go, and so it's not historical. Well, I go, well, wait a minute. A couple things. First of all, it may be something that they, you know, they maybe did make it up, but it if they made it up, they made it up like in real time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in other words, the historical faith or the Kragma or the creed or the rule of faith about, you know, uh, you know, they, they, they did not have a full development, developed idea of the Trinity, but they were praying and talking Trinitarian, Trinitarian language. And the fact is they believe that God had raised Jesus from the dead. This is 20 years out from the event at most. So, um, I think that that's an argument that the early followers of Jesus believed that he had ridden, that God had risen him from the dead. Whether or not that happened or not, that's that's an article of faith. But I think it's way beyond a reasonable doubt that they, the early church, meaning the church of the first decades after the life and death of Jesus, believed that God had raised him from the dead and talked about him in divinized ways. Yeah. Our f- mutual friend, Brother John Galloway, in a sermon that came out around when the Da Vinci Code movie, I think, came out or something, he, uh, I remember hearing him say, well, it's obviously Dan Brown not only has not studied much of history, but he's never worked in a congregation. So what basically he's going to say is the clergy all came and said, hey, everybody, I know we've thought this for centuries. We're changing everything now. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> now, what minister has that? We, every minister knows that the first rule in churches is... 
uh, <laughs> we've never done it that way. And the second is like an unto it. We've always done it this way. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, there were, there were, you know, like crazy Egyptian monks and riots in the streets of Ephesus when they started talking about taking away Theotokos, you know. So, yeah, I don't think they could have done that. But at any rate, you know, one of the things I think is interesting about the Thessalonian passage, you know, he starts out, we meant, always mention in our prayers and thank God for all of you and constantly remember before God, our Father, how you have shown your faith in action, worked for love, and persevered through hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, faith, hope, and love there already. Um, is that he didn't? He, they didn't spend very long. They were they were only there for a couple of days, and they got they had to get out of town quickly in Thessalonica. And you know, I think sometimes when we talk about our missional strategies and things like that, what we have to do. Uh, Again, I'm, I'm not. This isn't about whether how accurate Acts is historically, but from all that we know, he didn't spend much much time at any of these churches, and probably where he spent his most time was his least successful congregation. You know, Corinth. There's a great book a study I think by Roland Allen. I think it's on, it was a study on the Apostle Paul and like the indig- the sort of Chinese church that survive the culture of right because everybody was worried when everybody got kicked out that it was going to kill the church when he's like no this is look at the apostle paul sometimes you set up a structure that's a little shaky and you go (laughs) and they'll and they figure it out so he kind of it's an interesting study of paul in light of chinese reality yeah so i think you know again getting back to that um Faith in action, work for love, and persevere through hope. Uh, we're coming up on Brother Luther's 500th anniversary. We're close. We're close. And I do think it's an opportunity, uh, regardless of where Regardless you... of whether you think it was about indulgences or Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> <laughs> I know. All right. And I guess what? We, you'll have to give me penance that I, 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 sure. I, 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 I engaged. I, I engaged. I'm engaged in a Facebook discussion purely for recreational purposes, which is I'm. I don't. I. It's a sin. I, I'm sure it's a sin. Yeah, it's all right. All right. Well, was that my? End? <laughs> yeah, there it is. That's, that's not a very. That's, that's my, not a very powerful word of all right, By the way, ah, that's all right. All right by the way, it, this is about the lectionary text. It's not modeling. The uh, sacrament of yeah, no, uh, that penis. was not that was not the it lacked a little gusto. <laughs> oh, okay, that's all right. That's all right. It's all good. All good. All good. Yeah, but I do think this idea of faith as a dynamic, you know, faith uh, in action worked for love and persevered through hope. That there's this kind of trinitarian dynamic to what faith really is. It includes hope and love, and this is a theme, obviously, that we most <coughs> excuse me. We most remember in First Corinthians thirteen, but it's it's there a lot in Paul. Well, I don't believe that heaven waits for only those who congregate. I like to think of God as love. He's down below, He's up above, He's watching people everywhere. He knows who does and doesn't care, and I'm an ordinary man. Sometimes I wonder who I am, but I believe. Let's go right to the gospel reading. <coughs> it's, uh, we've we've talked about the gospel. Now yes. let's go to the gospel reading. Yeah, and we've got Matthew twenty-two. This is the render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. <laughs> I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. You know, it's funny. Uh, probably, it's, yeah. Were you and I talking about that reference to Ben? Or man, me, Lindy, and I. That she was saying, like, wait, is he quoting Julius Caesar? He says, we we come to not to um, disagree with our commander in chief, but to praise him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think probably. I think Mark. I think comparing Bannon to Mark Anthony is probably an insult to Mark Anthony. 
Okay. Early, early years, Mark Anthony accomplished stuff. He would never have worn two uh, he, polo shots. Four, four. Four Oxford shirts. No, no, so, though he did get kind of, he did kind of, oh, he did play dress up of Cleopatra. I mean, that's true. <laughs> so it seems that in last week's lecture. And by the way, why do all the Romans have British accents in the right. movie? <laughs> <laughs> Remember about that that, that uh the in the dead post side he's like we always see Shakespeare done like this. He's like I'd like to I'd like to see maybe John Wayne uh play him. Is this a dagger I see before me? <laughs> uh, by the way, Mel Gibson, a remarkably good hand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. So it has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. But uh it seems that the Pharisees got somewhat of the point like got the point of the parable in the previous week's reading <laughs> sometimes they, i think he's talking about us <laughs> you guys think is he talking so here they seem to be trying to entrap jesus right and what's fascinating is they decide to partner up with the herodians uh the only thing that the herodians and pharisees maybe ever agreed upon was we gotta kill this Jesus yeah, guy? Whatever. Okay. Can we just agree to disagree? <laughs> this, other words, this, would, this would this would be this is a little bit like uh, uh, you know McConnell and Pulowski coming together. Pulowski coming together. Right? I can't. I just lost Nancy Pulowski. I just lost it. That'd be kind of like them coming together and saving the country right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Herodians. Uh, the Herodians are actually probably a branch of the Sadducees. Uh, and, and the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. Right. That's why they were sad, you see, because ah, there was no hope for the afterlife. Yeah. But anyway, they decided to come together, and this is actually a really a great one. And particularly, I think, um, hearing this in the 90s or 80s after <laughs> the destruction of Jerusalem and part— Based on the revolt against Caesar, this would have it would be even more stinging hearing this. Uh, it also probably is pretty good Christian propaganda for the Romans that hey, we we were <laughs> we were not part of that thing that just happened. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. I've been reading um, Robert Capon's book on the parables just because I've been right. watching mm-hmm. the and he said he touches on this text because it it you know is, is in between the parable the wedding feast, the king's son's wedding feast, and the subsequent ones. And he says, basically, to try to pull anything out of this other than Jesus is a consummate and and a very capable fox, <laughs> it's probably too much. Like, it's, I wouldn't get a real deep theology of church to stay here, but it's clear that they think they've We've really outsmarted them. We've got, we've really, ever, and you know, if anybody that's done any teaching or anything, you know the difference between a, a question that's soliciting information and right. one that's just trying to embarrass the teacher. Right. And it seems like he's, he's like four moves ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, but I do think it actually, it's, it's a passage that becomes really important in the history of the church. Certainly it's part of what fuels Augustine's great city of God, which I'm rereading right now. And That's virtue. I don't know if it is or not, but it's an interesting thing. I that, think it's virtue. <laughs> right. Salutary virtue is yeah. lots of things. But to this idea of, of the two the two realms. And um, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting thing to keep thinking on. I mean, it's funny that well, there are people talking about it, but even it's in our backdrop of the whole standing or kneeling for the national anthem. There, there are, any of us who kind of know a little bit about ancient history, there are some, I don't know, there's some rather sobering uh analogies for me that may or may not have anything to do with the current debate. Um, but I, I certainly uh, think this idea of kind of a, sometimes Christianity has a kind of a conservative realism about it. In other words, uh, and this may be good for all of our, we're going to transform the world 
folks, whether that be our post-millennialist. I wish it was right. I, it's not that I'm against you. <laughs> I just don't, there's not a lot of evidence. Optimism. Optimism. Not a lot of evidence for it. Or whether it's the reformed idea of uh, the transformation society or the Anabaptist kind of idea of we're going to transform portions of society. There's a kind of realism here that Jesus has that you know what. We have our, we have our, we have one foot one place and one foot the other. That doesn't mean that the kingdom of heaven, certain the king, what belongs to God, ultimately everything belongs to God. So it's kind of a, it's a kind of slippery answer in some ways because you know I'll give the Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but Caesar only gets what God decides Caesar gets. So there's there can be that the idea that God trumps Caesar is implied in that. But it also is you know try to get along the best you can uh, in this in this world that is often. A very great place. We're running out of time, but in conclusion, I just want to throw out the fact that verse 16 is, is translated for you not look upon the face of people or the appearance. But the Greek is actually blepes ice prosopon anthropon. Oh. And maybe there's a pun there. Mm-hmm. Because it's interesting because he calls them hypocrites in the next verse, right? Right. And what was hypocrite? An actor, literally an actor in the Greco-Roman world. And they wore masks to cover their the faces. Pro- the prosopons. Right, yeah. the prosopons. So a hypocrite is someone who hides his, his true face behind a mask, like a false front. So it's interesting that Jesus is saying, we know you don't look upon the face of people. <laughs> but either... He's right on one level in that, yeah, he looks into their hearts or he sees them for who they truly are, you know, whether it's duplicitous, broken, (laughs) faltering. And so if we can't see the face of God, God can see the true face of us and in that, Mm. in in him seeing that and knowing us and calling us, we're loved and saved. That preaches. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating. Write a review and subscribe or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Bill for being on the podcast and thanks again to you for listening. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.